great to see you, Dave. How are you doing? Doing well, Paula. Good to see you. Excellent. Well, I'm actually really excited to get you to know your story. We've been working together and we've known each other for a while, but I don't know uh, your full story of how you got into mindfulness, what you love about it, how you practice. So I'm really looking forward to, um, to this, uh, this conversation that we're going to have. Yeah, I'm excited to share it. Yeah, so why don't you tell me a little bit about when did you first encounter mindfulness? When did you think about practicing or what was, what was going on in your life at that time? Yeah, I thought about that a bit. I knew you were going to ask me that question, so I gave it some thought. Um, actually, I think my introduction to mindfulness was informal. Um, I grew up on a farm in the same yard as my grandparents. Uh, so as a youngster, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. And she just had a natural mindfulness about her. You know, we would go for walks together. She loved to go for walks in the autumn and kick through the leaves. And she would give me instructions, right? She'd say, oh, just let's walk through these leaves and just listen. Just listen to the sound of those leaves. And we'd do that for like five minutes or whatever the attention span of a little kid is. And she would do things at the same time. We'd sit on the edge of a hill and, and she would say, uh, listen and tell me how many different birds you can identify. And so she wasn't a meditator. She didn't connect with the idea of mindfulness. She didn't have any of that exposure to those ideas, but she had some natural mindfulness techniques that she used uh, just, you know, just naturally. And I was introduced to those as a kid. So, you know, I think I started practicing when I was three <laughs> and had no idea, right? Uh, just because of that exposure to my grandmother. When I reflect on it, my dad... What's so interesting about that too is that a lot of people think that mindfulness is meditation, like sitting on a cushion or doing something very formal. But what your grandmother taught you and what we're always learning is that actually it's just a way of paying attention, right? And just getting really curious about the life unfolding. So that's really neat. Yeah, the nice thing about that is she just naturally paid attention to, to the environment, to her surroundings, and kind of taught me to do that. And when I reflect on it, my father's really observant. You know, he notices every little thing. And, and I just wonder if that was kind of the same thing his mother taught him to, to pay attention to things. So. That's beautiful. So that was as a kid. Um, when I got interested in mindfulness as a formal practice, um, you know, a decade and a half later, I, I'm 20 years old. I was on my way to write a midterm exam in university and uh, stopped by the hospital because things weren't going so well and, uh, and found out I had leukemia. So, you know, I had blood cancer as a 20-year-old. And that kind of changes your outlook on life, right? You start asking different questions. So I started thinking about, you know, that connection between mind and body and, and if there was any uh, connection to healing and, and just coping with the stress of, of managing with a, managing a, a disease, right? The doctors told me without treatment, I had about three and a half years to live. Um, so that really dials you in, that focuses you. Uh, you start to look for ways to, to cope. And, you know, surprisingly, I came across mindfulness. I, I started digging into it more. I started doing really at that time, a lot of kind of visualizations um, you know, and, and mantra and that kind of stuff, um, just to help 
I thought there was there was potentially a connection right between how the mind was and how I was going to be able to cope with treatment, um, potentially even a, a causative connection there that was going to help me in the healing. So uh, that was really my 20-year-old self's introduction to mindfulness and how I got on the path in the first place. And so when you did um, visualizations or mantra, how did you learn those? Yeah, well, this was in, in 1989. So there wasn't the same access to uh, to teachings at that time as there is now. There wasn't uh, there wasn't an internet really. Um, so so I started looking for books. You know, I came across the science of of some of that through people like Dr. Dr. Bernie Siegel. Um, I came across a woman named Shakti Gawain who just had this visualization piece and and some affirmations. Uh, so it was mainly through books. I didn't have live teachers. I, I read a lot, um, tried to put that in, in practice and kind of fumbled along. Um, you know, my main practice then was kind of a body scan. And, and then um, I would I would visualize like a golden light going through my body just as a, as a way to relax and, and potentially heal. And uh, it was it was effective. It, it really did put me in a better place and, and better able to uh, just manage treatments, right? Wonderful. Yeah. And um, so you found there was some healing quality to, to the meditation. Did you find it was relaxing? Um, yeah. What were some of the connections you made when you were meditating and healing? Yeah. So I'm, I'm cautious about making claims about that. Sure. Um, so, so what I can tell you is it made me feel better. Um, yeah. it, it, there was definitely a mental health piece to it. So it helped me manage at the time. And uh, my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was there. So we, you know, we had all sorts of little practices to um, sometimes distract, sometimes dial in, sometimes just tolerate, you know, pain, whatever was going on at the time. Um, so it wasn't formal. Again, there, there wasn't a specific teaching. It was just me reaching out. But, but that led to a real interest. Um, yeah. Clearly, I, I survived that ordeal <laughs> because I'm here to have this interview with you. Every day is a gift. Um, but because of the experiences I had there, I kind of maintained an interest in mindfulness from that time forward. So I was always, again, at that time, reading books, looking for teachings that way and started to come across, um, you know, people like the Dalai Lama. Uh, he was starting to become really kind of a rock star at the time, you know, he was really popular and, and started putting out books. And uh, I was able to go to Chicago at the time and, and hear folks like the Dalai Lama and, and Thich Nhat Hanh at, uh, it was called the Parliament of the World's Religion. So that was a really good exposure to some teachings live. And, and that was it. You know, I was, I was into, into that. Um, I, I won't tell you that I've had a really disciplined practice uh, from that time forward. Uh, you know, there was there's a whole experience of of being a young person and starting a career and starting a family and really getting um, dialed into those things. Right. Those things take up your focus and your time and your attention and your energy. Um, so I would practice sporadically. Mm -hmm. Some of my early memories of practice, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 30s and I'm sitting on the cushion. And it, by this time, I have two small sons. Um, and I'd be sitting on the cushion. They'd, they'd scamper in and they'd sit with me. They'd sit on my knee or whatever for 
30 seconds and then scamper off. But uh, so they had some early introduction to uh, mindfulness practice too. But, uh, you know, that became part of the practice. So yeah. Kids scampering around the house and all sorts of duties in life. That, that's beautiful. So you were going, you took some trips with your wife, you were saying. So you, did she practice as well? Or also sporadically a little bit here and there? Yeah, I would say she has more of a natural practice too. She's yeah. a real healer. Um, and so I would say her practice is more along the, she'd be more attracted to yoga and things like that where there's a moving practice. Um, so yeah, we, we didn't formally practice together. Um, and we've been together for, well, decades now and, and continue to have our own paths where we'll have times we come together, we debrief, we talk um, and share ideas and, and, you know, share a podcast, share a good book, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, but don't necessarily get involved in the same meditation community. Interesting. And what about uh, you mentioning your sons? Did you find, even if it was sporadic, these moments here and there or of sitting or listening to a teaching or doing something, did you find that affected uh, your parenting, your life at that time during those busy years of work and small kids? Uh, oh, for sure. Again, just in, in managing just some of the overwhelm of, of activity, right? When, when you have two young sons, two young, you know, whatever, daughters, however many children you might have, you find yourself running in a bunch of different directions. You're, you're going to guitar practice or you're going to baseball or you're going to hockey or whatever it might be. Um, so you're always running. But yeah, I always had practices to fall back on. If I ever felt overwhelmed, there was always uh, some kind of mindfulness practice to manage my way through that. And that's why it was sporadic too. I felt like at that time, if I really did get overwhelmed, I would always turn to a practice and then have a really dedicated formal, pra formal practice for a few months, uh, get into a good space, and then kind of forget about it for a while, right? Uh, but there was, it was like a wave. I, I could tell when I needed it. Um, I would get really serious about it. Uh, things would come back to a manageable level and then get busy and, and kind of forget about it again. Uh, so my practice was like that for years. Um, I think my wife often reports that she could tell when I was practicing. So I knew it was having an impact on, you know, just the way I was in the world, on my behavior. Um, so she would say, oh, you're, you're on the cushion again, aren't you? Or things like that. So that was feedback. I knew, oh, if she can tell uh, something's going on, there's a difference in, in the way I'm being. And I guess it took years of that kind of feedback to really get serious about it and say, well, wait a minute, um, I need to turn this into a formal practice. That's when I started reaching out and trying to find different communities to support that practice yeah and what i find is really inspiring about that that part of your journey is that i think a lot of students who start out with mindfulness that's their experience it's hard to have a dedicated daily or almost daily practice it's probably one of the hardest parts of the practice is making the time for it right and and prioritizing it and trusting that you can take a pause so that's really interesting that even though it wasn't all the time, you still benefited from it. And it was still there for you when you needed it, right? Yeah, and are there sure. some, um, some practices that you remember that were most impactful from those times where you were kind of in and out? Yeah, I don't know if it was because of 
my early influence from the Dalai Lama that it seems like a lot of the communities I came across were Tibetan Buddhism communities. Okay. And, and you would start with shamatha practice, um, vipassana practice. Uh, that's common to the insight meditation centers as well. So in, in plain language, that's concentration practice. And then some, some deeper kind of applying that concentration to insight practices. One of the things I always found challenging about that was there was this requirement almost. You know, if, if you're going to really get good at concentration, you need to sit on the cushion for, um, you know, a 45-minute stretch. And you need to do that a couple times a day. Um, and it's going to take X number of hours for you to really master this. And I knew that. And I, I would put in the time. But I'm, it's not a... I'm not very good at following rules, right? <laughs> I, would, I would always push back somehow. There's got to be a different way of doing this. Um, and I'm, I'm still not 100% sure if there is a different way of doing this, but I suspect there is. Um, so, you know, that, that whole discipline piece, you're going to have to do this kind of at times also got a bit frustrating. It got a bit, um, what's the right word? It was difficult to stay with it because it seemed like there were so many hours that were going to be required. And in the middle of a busy life, it felt like, wow, you know, you have to be a, a monk or you have to be able to take a three-month retreat to make this happen. And I knew that wasn't going to happen at that in that part of my life. Um, so that was really a, a bit frustrating uh, to know there was this path to practice. There were there were maps about how you could progress on that practice, but it felt like it was out of reach for me just because I knew I didn't have a three-month period of time where I could run off and do that uh, in the middle of a, a busy life. Yeah, and that's such a such an important obstacle. Another one that we so one obstacle would be like the discipline, actually finding time to sit every day. But I think there's this other thing that's like, oh, I'm expected to do this big thing. And my life doesn't allow for it, so then forget about it, right? Or you try to squeeze it in, like when, when I was told, oh, I have to sit for two hours a day, and I tried, but then I was like losing sleep and just rushing all day. So it kind of, it can be, become um, counterproductive if you're just given a rule uh, that's just like a blanket rule as to how much you sit a day or something and it just doesn't fit into your life, right? So that's interesting because from the tailored mindfulness experience perspective, we'd want to fit your formal practice into your day, like look at your day and and then figure out what works for you, right? And did you find there was a, a moment where you're able to, to switch into that perspective from like, oh, I have to practice for 45 minutes a day to what would work for me for my life yeah for sure there, there's a bit of a path between between where we left off and there um i i would get involved in the community i knew that path could be effective and i would really dive into it and okay. get involved in it but um also being a, a skeptic i would encounter different experiences where, okay, once you reach a certain level of comfort in a community, you start getting involved in, oh, there's a particular ritual we do, or we're going to sit and chant for 30 minutes. And, and there's a side of my brain that just can't really engage with that. That can be really effective for some people, but it always sent me running, right? I, I didn't 
That's not what I was looking for. So I did get involved in several communities, but always found at some point there was there was some kind of garb to put on, uh, to belong, and I was never willing to, to go there. Um, so it was really in that search for different ways that kind of fit with what I was looking for. And, and that's really part of unified mindfulness is um, I encountered unified mindfulness and found, you know what, there are a lot of different practices. Um, there's a practice that will be right for you. And you don't have to adopt any ideas. You don't have to adopt any beliefs. It's just, here's a practice. In fact, here's 24 practices. Here's 30 practices. Um, we're pretty confident one of them is going to work for you and, and maybe a few more. And we can stretch your boundaries after that if, if you're comfortable with that. I really like that approach. It was a, a secular approach. It didn't come with a lot of baggage. And once I got to learn the different techniques, I found that I could practice every day because practice doesn't always look like, as you mentioned before, it doesn't always look like sitting on the cushion for 45 minutes. Um, So that's how I came across Unified Mindfulness. Um, And then, you know, meeting you and Mitch and, and talking about really Unified Mindfulness is a great operating system for tailoring a mindfulness approach that works for you. Uh, that's the name of, of the program, the Tailored Mindfulness Experience. So here we are, you know, helping spread the word about different tools that work for different people at different times, in different circumstances, uh, without a bunch of, of baggage, and things that can be integrated into your own world, your own beliefs. Um, that, to me, was a really appealing system and, and one that's helped me practice every day um, and really kind of accelerate the benefits that come from that. That's that's great. And how would, did that transition take place? So you were uh, trying to fit into different communities. Um, did you find um, there was some benefit to taking on some of the structure? And then when you found UM uh, Unified Mindfulness, did you let go of the other ones? Or was it a slow introduction? into UM where you were doing a little bit of both? How did that transition happen? Yeah, great question. Um, I I don't think unified mindfulness is something you have to commit to exclusively. In fact, that was part of the appeal for me. So I can stay involved with uh, different communities. Like right now, I'm I'm still practicing a a concentration and and insight practice. Um, but unified mindfulness and the tools I use there do two things for me. It actually deepens that practice, but it also gave me the tools I needed to let go of the guilt um, of not sitting on the cushion that morning. Uh, I started asking myself questions like, well, what do I do every day consistently? Uh, one of the things I do every day, twice a day, is walk my dog, usually for about 25 minutes. And, you know, wow, 25 minutes a day, twice a day, is there a way I can turn that into my practice? And there are techniques in unified mindfulness, like see, hear, feel. So I walk my dog twice a day. I practice see, hear, feel. Um, if that's my only practice that's, that day, that's fine. Right? That's cool. I don't have to, like you said, it, it can be counterproductive when you start running these internal dialogues about, oh, I should be doing this, or if only I could do this more consistently. Um, unified mindfulness has helped me let go of that narrative, um, practice every day in all sorts of circumstances, 
you know, waiting in line for groceries or, or sitting in traffic. Or there's always a technique that can be applied. So there are multiple opportunities throughout the day, whether it's for a minute or whether it's for 25 minutes or whether it's for a formal you know, one hour sit. Um, there's something that can happen every day that, that keeps it fresh and, and keeps you practicing. Um, let's go of the guilt uh, really helps you ask yourself questions like, what works for me? Um, and the nice thing about unified mindfulness too is then there's a community, right? There's a community of support there. So there's always somebody who's a little further down the path that you can reach out to and say, hey, this is going on. Any, any recommendations? Um, you know, a big part of my community now are, are you and Mitch. There's, there's always somebody to reach out to and, and talk to about things. So, uh, yeah, I, that's been my, my practice now for probably the last four or five years, um, really being able to integrate a more formal concentration and insight practice with all of the different tools that Unified Mindfulness offers. Getting into that enough, seeing the benefits enough, that uh, that now, yeah, let's let's reach out and if there's anybody else interested, um, you know, help bridge that gap for them. Yeah, that's that's so great. So so what I hear you saying is that you could still hang on to some of the things that you loved about the other communities uh, because in the unified mindfulness system we have formal practice. So your formal practice, whether that's sitting or for me, I do yoga, like that can be. Um, its own thing but then with the unified mindfulness techniques you can also then say well where else first of all how can I do that that formal practice in a way that that works for me and what technique am I actually using how does that could because unified mindfulness encompasses all the different techniques sometimes you can look at something you're doing and say oh that's you know a rest practice or that's a feel-good practice because it's called like visualization would be a feel-good practice right because you're seeing good hearing good feeling good um, but then so that's the formal practice and you're also talking Dave about informal practice right so what do we do throughout the day when we're walking our dog when we're doing the dishes when with with our kids when we're, when we're, when we're working so that all day we can have some way of staying connected with the practice, which at the end of the day is just like your grandmother, right? Like paying attention exactly. and enjoying your life. Like it's so simple, but um, sometimes, especially these days, there's so much talk about mindfulness, we make it more complicated, right? And you mentioned also um, staying grounded in the benefits so that you see more of the benefits as you practice more through um, whether it's, formal or informal practice throughout the day. So do you feel those benefits more now? And what are some of those benefits that you're getting from the practice? Yeah, for sure. I was trying to explain that to some of my colleagues, actually, like, what are the benefits? And um, we, we had a really kind of stressful meeting last week, uh, where there was a lot of, there was a lot of sadness and anger in the room. And I was able to, when I was explaining it to my colleagues, it was almost like I had a background laugh track. You know how the laugh tracks come into, into the movies or, or into a TV show? Uh, and it wasn't a laugh. It wasn't making light of it. But there was a background track there of just equanimity. I was, I was able to sit in that meeting, not absorb uh, all of those emotions in the same way I, I might have got drug into that in the past. Uh, but then at the same time, just be more present. So try and listen to some of that stuff and, and really hear 
what people were trying to say. Um, they were obviously frustrated by something. So the practice helped me be more mindful of, of what it was, like why they were in the space they were in. Um, another example of, of the same thing, like just two minutes ago, Paula, I noticed my attention straying a bit. I'm like, oh, I'm, I identified in my mind, I'm trying to think of an answer to the next question Paula's going to ask instead of listening to what you were actually saying. But by being able to identify that, I was able to bring my attention back right onto what you were saying. So like you mentioned, it's really all about attention. Some people I find are really kind of intimidated or turned off by even a word like mindfulness or meditation because it brings to mind for them some idea, some narrative they have about that. And for folks like that, I say, really, this is about attention training, right? You're building attention skills. You're building your ability to concentrate. Um, you're building your ability to really have clarity about what's going on, to really pay attention. Um, you're building equanimity, like the, the ability to let things come and go without really getting tangled up in it uh, so much, still being really present. So it's not about not being present, but not getting, uh, things, don't, things aren't as sticky uh, when, when you're in that space. So building those attention skills to me is what the mindfulness piece is all about. Once you have that really strong attention, it can be turned to things, right? Then you can apply it to things uh, that you choose uh, rather than things that get chosen for you by some kind of um, conditioning, whether from, you know, from your past, from past experiences, from your family, from your culture, whatever. Uh, we're less tangled up in that conditioning and more able to apply that attention to things that really have meaning for us. Yeah, yeah, that's so true, right? That the way we pay attention is really important. And it also, um, again, to contrast to this idea of mindfulness as something that you just like do for one part of your day and you're building the skills over there. Instead, you're saying you're bringing it to your meetings. You're able to have a little bit of a broader perspective when people are, are reactive, uh, you know, and in a, in a bad emotional state, not that you don't feel and are there for them, but you can kind of step back and say, okay, this is a charged situation. How can I best respond, right? And have the clarity in order in order to do that. So, so yeah, for sure. Like, uh, has a big impact on your days, right? And how yeah. does it affect the people around you? Like, I'm curious at that meeting, did you find that your ability to stay a little bit more grounded, centered, and open, did that affect the outcome of the meeting at all or how other people were responding? Yeah, that's, um, well, it's an interesting question because I, I can't project myself into their position and see how it landed for other people. I, I know it helped me make sense of the meeting and it did help me engage with colleagues after and have conversations that were probably a little different in tone than they might have been um, had I not been as balanced, right? There are ways you can get thrown out of balance and get just caught up in, in the tone of a meeting. Um, so yeah, I, I think it had an effect. I can't speak for other people. I can only tell you, report back the impact it had on me. Um, but for sure, I, I do find that some of the benefits I see are, they're, they're almost ethics, right? Um, you do have an impact on the world around you. And when you're more grounded and when you're more present, um, that impact, I think you have more agency on that impact. 
um, you know, there, there's more of a, that can ripple out to other people. So ethics, I think, is really closely entangled with, with mindfulness. Um, both mindfulness as a practice can make you a more ethical person. And the practice, practice of ethics is really uh, almost a preliminary to having a good mindfulness practice. Those two things aren't separate. Yeah, it's so true. And, and that's another misconception that people might have about mindfulness, that it's kind of like a selfish thing, because here you are, you're doing something for yourself. And then there's so many things that you have to do in the world. But uh, it sounds like it's been your experience that actually uh, paying attention and in, in being intentional about what we do, how we do it actually influences the way you do things, right? So that you, you are actually behaving in better ways too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Having, I, I teach for a living. I, I teach in a polytechnic. So I, I deal with students generally in their twenties. I have two sons, both in their twenties and just talking to young people. Uh, I'm more convinced now than ever that some kind of mindfulness practice is an integral part of, of life. Uh, we're surrounded with so many challenges, you know, in the midst of so many crises, ecological crises, economic crises, um, social crises, energy crises, all sorts of things. And it's, again, really easy to get drug into those things. Yeah. Um, and the more I thought about solutions, uh, there are all sorts of people working on solutions. But if they're coming from the same space that created those crises, those solutions are, are sometimes going to make things worse. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that part of our worldview, uh, part of our conditioning has been to think of ourselves as individuals and think about what's right for us. And, you know, some way of, of getting past that story of separation uh, of the individual separated from everything else is really fundamental to dealing with the different crises we have in the world. And, and one of the ways of doing that is to discovering is discovering our interconnectedness with everything, right? How connected we are. We're, we're not individuals. That's a story. Uh, in fact, our, as human beings, as a species, we're really great at creating stories. Um, but those stories don't always serve positive purposes. Um, I find mindfulness one way of really interrogating those stories, really being able to pay attention and see what they're doing. And one of the things I've experienced the more I practice and the more I've been able to make that a daily practice and a practice in different situations, the more I not just understand, but really feel that interconnectedness. Um, I, I think that's a step, right? It, that's how we are entangled with the world. That's how, you know, mindfulness isn't a selfish act. It's actually an act of becoming more in tune with how things are interconnected. Things are interdependent. And the way we, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act in the world actually has an impact on that. And understanding that interconnectedness, I think, is key to dealing with a lot of the crises that we're, we're facing right now. Th those young folks, they feel it, right? Um, we all feel it, but I deal with the, the younger generation every day and they feel it. And, and I can feel the, the angst, the confusion, the, the search for meaning. Um, and I think mindfulness is one not the only, but one important thing that can help really engage with meaningful dialogue, with meaningful action in the world that 
does get to root causes. Yeah, it's so so true about um, the the need for for connection, for understanding our connection, and and I think it can also help people feel less lonely, right? When you see the world and everything that's happening, and it can feel like, oh no, who am I uh, to fix this? And I can't fix this, and and you feel alone, right? So uh, when you can have an experience, really. Um, because I've found, I, I wonder if it's your experience as well, that it's not, because we can think in our minds, logically, yes, we're connected, and but it's in our minds. But at some point through the practice, you, you experience that everything that you're doing today is because of other people that, you know, made my clothes and, and what I do is going to affect, you know, what, what happens when my kids come home. You, you can kind of almost taste that, the, that we're all this organism <laughs> working together and impacting one another. So, so it can be really powerful. That's great. Oh, exactly. And, and that becomes not just an idea, but something you can actually feel. I think we've all had an experience at some point in our lives where we're kind of in the flow, right? It, it could be, you know, you're just walking in nature and you feel connected to things. Or for some people, it might be a sport. You know, you were just in the zone, just going with things. You you function together as a unit, as a team. Um, or for some people, maybe it's while they're playing music or all sorts of different experiences we've had as human beings of being in the flow or in that zone. And then you discover, wait a minute, that's something that I can actually cultivate and pay attention to. Um, that's one way of, of bridging that gap and, and starting to feel that connection um, and not just not just think about it, not just cognitively acknowledge it, but actually feel it in your bones. Great. And what do you see as your next step, Dave? So you're, you're teaching at a university, you're feeling that um, mindfulness is important for you and you want to share it. So what are some ways that you're going to be um, continuing to grow, whether in your own practice or in sharing the practice? Yeah, I think everyone has an opportunity, right? They have communities they're involved in or people they're involved with. So for everybody, that question, the answer to that question is going to be a little different. Right now, I find myself involved with students. So I'm giving students who are interested an opportunity to learn some of these techniques is one thing that I'm doing right now. Um, and it's it's really rewarding, right? Students, again, they're they're under a lot of pressures. They're They're here from other countries, you know, separated from family. So sometimes suffering from that lack of connection or dealing with the stress of studying and and working and trying to do all that at the same time. So there are different techniques that I think are really useful there. And then reaching out, right? This, this whole tailored mindfulness experience uh, with, with you and Mitch and the unified mindfulness community in general, uh, it, I think is a great way to reach out. Um, making sure that anybody who wants to do a deeper dive into mindfulness. Uh, I think back to myself in 1989 when I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is something I want to pursue, but all I have are a couple of books from the library to, uh, to help me. There's a lot more support now. So becoming a part of that support network, I think, is really important to me. Um, applying whatever knowledge I might have and then helping students connect with people that have more knowledge and uh, can take them in different directions is is a good place. I can be a connector in that community. So, uh, you know, that's what's next. I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. Sounds wonderful. And just one last question for you, Dave. I'm curious if you were to 
go back, you know, to the 20 year old who, who started your practice, do you have any um, pieces of advice? Like what would you say to someone to yourself starting out or to people that are just starting this journey and maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed and don't know where to begin? Yeah, I think I would just say, hey, you know, that, that intuition you have that there is another way to do things, um, keep it up, keep pursuing that. You're in a good spot. You're doing the right thing. Um, and I think that's true of all of us. You know, whatever your situation is right now, that's, that's where you are. Um, you know, take the next step. If you have an intuition that there is something else out there, uh, that there's another a technique that can make your life easier, that may be able to introduce you to uh, a deeper way of being in the world. It doesn't have to be that, right? It can be simple, like, I just want to reduce suffering in my life. Good, you know, take that next step. Or I want to find a way to be happier in life. Good, take that next step. Um, I want more connection in my life, or I want to understand myself more. Um, all of those things are, are great motivators, great ideas. So I'd say to my 20-year-old self, your intuition's right. You know, keep going down that path. It'll, it'll take you somewhere. Um, it'll improve your life and potentially the life of people around you. Um, I don't think I'd give specific advice because I was where I was at that point. And, uh, you know, taking my mind 35 years later and, and telling that person to go a different direction, maybe I wouldn't be here to give that advice. So. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dave. It's been so great uh speaking with you and i'm looking forward to seeing how how things unfold in your path yeah great well thank you for having me on paula it's been a pleasure hopefully people find something that uh, that connects and helps them take that next step in their path too thank you all right take care